Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danson, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. green candle in like the last four or five hours price action all these shorts getting wrecked to this morning all the tears everywhere i don't know bitcoin's ripping right now they thought they could play the game they thought they could short it at the bottom morning neil i kind of think the price will continue to be um pretty volatile in both directions because of all the Bitcoin coming off exchanges, which is great because there's just less liquidity, right? Yeah, for sure. A lot less liquidity. People are yes. still taking their Bitcoin off the exchanges and it's accelerating. Like we, we, we were, we've been talking about this for it. a couple of weeks now. Where, you know, I've always wondered, well, at what point is the, is, is are people, you know, cause people are funny, you know, you, people get wound up and then they were like, then they relax and they're like, ah, it's, it's all right, whatever. <clears throat> but so I was wondering, well, when is this going to slow down? But it's still accelerating. Mind blowing. Go ahead, Wicked. Well, I mean, when do bank runs uh, slow down, Alex? They don't. They just get yeah, worse. Yeah, that's and a worse. fair point. But is it? A, yeah, is it a bank? Is it bank runs? I guess is it bank, is kind of like bank runs. Uh, this is a bank run. It, as 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 exchanges get that's less and less Bitcoin, it becomes more and more risky to keep your Bitcoin on the exchange, and so it actually accelerates into you know into oblivion until they run out completely. In my opinion, I mean, there's there's always gonna be a few people who are left, you know, holding the the bags of IOUs. <laughs> with no underlying Bitcoin, but like um, people who actually know what the fuck they're doing, they understand that exchanges rehypothecate the Bitcoin. So there's literally not enough for everyone who has a balance. And if you're the last one holding the IOU, you've got nothing. So, you know, fuck around and find out. Yeah. So last night I was in a room, uh, Corey was in it too, um, about, you know, SBF being arrested or finance imploding or whatever the title was and it was actually mostly nft people late night and they were talking about self-custody and ledger so i was pretty impressed i was like good we're finally getting it hey uh just a little heads up i just got a message uh in the back channel from shane trammell you guys may know him he's uh been part of cafe bitcoin a lot um over the last year he's one of our main crew for a long time so apparently his house just got hit by a tornado yesterday 
So if you're the praying type, you know, send him out there for him and his family. Everybody's fine, but like, guess his house is messed up. It's not cool. What about his backups? I mean, so we talk about backups being fireproof all the time, but we don't consider them being tornado proof. Um, that's a whole nother fucking, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I live in Boston, so I don't have to worry about tornadoes, but like, you know, I, 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 I come from the Midwest, so I know all about it. And I never even thought about that. Like, good luck finding your fucking seat plate if a tornado hits your house, you know what I'm saying? So, damn. I guess that highlights the importance of having, you know, seed phrases or seed plates backed up in multiple places, doesn't it? It kind of does. I was literally thinking that exact same thing. Like, does you know, this is one example of why it may make sense to have more than one, you know, seed plate for your wallet in different locations. And then slap a passphrase on top of it and uh, you're good to go. I was going to comment real quick on what Terrence was saying in terms of, you know, uh, crypto enthusiasts starting to actually understand self-custody. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm running these self-custody Q&A spaces every morning and we're getting like a good mix of lots of different people. Um, you know, most of the time it's people who are, who are kind of Bitcoin focused asking the questions, but I see people in the audience who are of all different flavors, um, you know, learning about self-custody. So I think it is becoming a very um, real and important idea. And, you know, I'm I'm obviously trying to push the self-custody idea for Bitcoin. I think that that's really the only one that matters for. But, you know, nevertheless, like, it is interesting that we're seeing this movement kind of throughout the entire Bitcoin plus crypto split space, um, focusing on self custody. It's, it's, it's nice, you know, like this is what it was about in the fucking beginning. So like, I'm glad people are finally taking it seriously. Yeah. So people Someone? are pulling Bitcoin off of Binance at an accelerated rate too. Like, uh, over the last Seven days, I guess, $2 billion U.S. dollars worth of Bitcoin just came off. And another yeah, $2.3 um, the week before. So we're talking over 30,000 Bitcoin in 24 hours. I don't think it was Bitcoin. I think it was just all digital tokens. But yeah, All digital? Still, yeah, that's what well, according reported. to. It's According to CoinGlass, this this headline says users withdrew thirty thousand three hundred, okay, five hundred fifteen million Bitcoin in the last twenty four hours. Still a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure, half a billion dollars worth. Good amount. Good amount. You know. And then someone else right. posted uh, that Binance twenty four hour net outflow has increased to three billion. Disclosed holding show they have over sixty-two point five billion as of now. I don't know if this source is accurate, but wow, sure it looks accurate, right? I mean, it's probably every source out there is probably pulling from Glassnode. You know, let's be honest. So, like, you know, ah, okay. Glassnode is like source is like it's like the the source of truth. Unfortunately, how long is it going to be before we get another fucking company that you know does? on-chain, you know, 
data analysis and then and then has like a nice API you can pull from because I was thinking about this like it's kind of it kind of sucks that like we're all dependent on Glassnode. You know what I'm saying? And I mean the market's there, right? I mean these these guys are charging 10 grand a year for their highest tier of data and people are paying for it. So like you know how much longer is it going to be until we get another couple of on-chain data providers um, that we can kind of cross-correlate, right? Because I don't like having to depend on just a single source of truth. I think that that's kind of shoddy, but um, but yeah, I don't know of any other ones who's kind of building up their data sets in the same way, right? Because I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into clustering this data and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, I wish we just had a couple different sources to pull from. I guess there's two kinds of approaches, right? One is uh, you prepare for when the next harvest is coming. The other is you start up during the harvest, right? The ones that start up during the harvest are, you know, whether they're going to survive a correction becomes the question. Like this, this bear market in Bitcoin has been very instructional for me. Like <laughs> I could never have imagined because I wasn't really even paying attention to the space you know, not not very much at all after the 2017 peak. And so this is my first real bear market where I'm like paying attention to what's happening and holy crap, man. <laughs> there's just, there's companies blowing up everywhere. It's mind-blowing. Like Argo, Argo, what is this? What is that thing about Argo? Uh, where is it at? Argo blockchain reports insufficient funds and has is making no assurances it can avoid chapter 11 barrack bankruptcy it's just like they're just like falling like flies so i'm alex is cutting out like in and out a little bit for me I, it might be my internet am i coming through okay everyone yeah, yeah i can hear fine. both of you okay cool yeah i think it's probably mine but as long as you can hear me so one thing i wanted to say is um, I agree with you, Alex. Like I, so I, this is my first bear market where I've been, you know, hundred percent paying attention to, to, to Bitcoin and, and then the broader space. And like, it does feel fucking crazy. Um, I think part of what happened in my opinion is, um, and I think a lot of us felt this way who got swept up in this most recent cycle is we all felt like this is it hyper bitcoinizations here you know like fucking three for three three halvings three bull runs everyone in the world is going to realize that bitcoin's better now like how could they not right it can't like how could they still see this thing as a bubble it's fucking like popped you know not popped but like like rebounded or come back from the dead three times now like how many more times do people need to you know does this need to happen before people wake the fuck up and so i think a lot of us got this this false sense of, of hyper Bitcoinization this past cycle. And a lot of uh, these companies got the same false sense of security and they started fucking around too much thinking that it was going to be up only. And uh, they got caught fucking around and they found out. Yep. All right. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. We do talk about Bitcoin and we do it every day. So if you've never been here before, every day at this time, 
you're welcome to tune in. We do it live on Twitter Spaces. This is also a podcast if you can't catch the Twitter Spaces. But yeah, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, if you want to get news updates and kind of the latest, we have the latest, you know, all the companies that are working on new stuff in the Bitcoin space, they come on and feature their stuff on our show, make announcements, all that kind of stuff. You want to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in, in Bitcoin. This is a great place to do it. It's not the only place to do it, obviously, but people tend to, apparently, uh, tend to like it. And um, yeah. Also, this is where people figure out how to get on the mission. A lot of people don't need our help with that. There's plenty of people pushing Bitcoin forward without us, like, you know, helping them understand what the mission is. But I, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of folks in Bitcoin are starting to kind of, uh, what's the word, zero in on what this, what this thing, the mission means. And I think it's awesome, man. And I'm humbled. Let's go. It's fucking fantastic. Okay. Episode 239, 18 days left to tax loss harvest in 2022. If you don't know what that means, you can shoot me or Terrence a DM. We're happy to help you with that. Uh, Fountain, shout outs to Sat Nakamoto and MA21M0 for your boosts on yesterday's episode. Listen, if you're boosting us, even if you don't have, uh, you know, something you want us to shout out, we're going to shout you out just as a, as a thank you. So thanks guys. The Bitcoin impenetrable freedom force field level is at 257 exahash. Actually, where's it at now? Ant? give me the, give me the update. That's where it was yesterday. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. I'm getting uh, 246.95 extra right. hash. Cool. Thank you. And remember, <clears throat> last thing here, remember if there are no fees on the exchanges that you're like thinking you're getting a deal on, you are the exit liquidity. Be wary. We've learned that no fees sometimes screws you. You think you're getting a good deal, but what you're really getting is rugged. Speaking of getting rugged. <laughs> All right, first topic for today. This is a statement from the Attorney General of the Bahamas, Ryan Pinder, on the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried on December 12th. December, um, on December 12th, 2022, the Office of the Attorney General of the Bahamas is announcing the arrest by the Royal Bahamas Police Force of Sam Bankman-Fried, formerly known as the CEO of FTX. SBF's arrest followed receipt of formal notification from the United States of America that it has filed criminal charges against SBF and is likely to request his extradition. Uh, let's discuss who's got something. It's about time. Yeah. The timing is just so suspect, but I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be, look, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, they have to put a case together. I mean, the FTX imploded so suddenly, like you can't actually expect the government to arrest SPF the next day. I mean, like, where's the warrant? Where are the charges? 
So uh, they scraped it together. They it looks like they kind of threw the kitchen sink at him in that uh, in the filing. Uh, Joe should probably be the one to uh, really comment on it. But before I hand off to Joe, um, uh, Wicked, there are two competitors to uh, Glassnode, who I came up on stage. Uh, just real quick, you can Google them. Uh, Coin Metrics, you can sign up for their newsletter. That's free once a week in your inbox. And also CryptoQuant, they have a really good Telegram channel. It's got like you know, 20, 30,000 people. And they pulled, uh, they're both Glassnode competitors. Uh, so you can check those uh, out. Um, so do they have APIs you can pull the data from directly, like Glassnode? Um, I, I I believe CryptoQuant does, but it's also like 10G. Yeah, yeah, fuck that. God damn it. <laughs> Coin, Coin Come on. Is, Coin on, is Nick Carter's company, correct? He started that. I'm just I'm just a goddamn I'm just a pleb trying to make cool animations. All right, I don't got 10 Gs mm -hmm. to just throw around willy nilly. But here's the thing, right? But you also like be slowly becoming an influencer. You're getting a lot of followers. Reach out to these companies. They might give you a free subscription. Like, like, like I'm on CryptoQuant's proprietary list. Like they email me their $10,000 report. I, I went to their office, did an interview with them, and we're friends now. You know, like uh, do, 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 do your thing. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm currently reaching out to Glassnode <laughs> as we speak. But no, yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, I mean, I want this data. I really want it. I'm not going to pay for it, though. And, you know, like, I make these animations for plus and for myself. You know, like, I think that it's important to get this, this these ways of, of, of understanding and visualizing this data out there so that people can understand Bitcoin better. So, like, you know, ultimately, it's just, it's, it's for everyone. It's for, it's for education, you know. I feel like I need to get a stick and, and tap it on the chalkboard. Sam Bateman, Sam Bateman free. Sam Bateman free. You want me to All right, guys. About Sam Bateman free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to read some more here. SBF misses the Senate hearing because he's been arrested. Uh, let's see what else. So he was supposed to appear before the United States Senate, and apparently he's not going to be able to. Uh, now that he's been arrested, maybe they will. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll let they let him out of jail to go testify before Congress. Congress, that'll be interesting. But now that there's informal charges filed, I, but I, was, I, don't know. I, I can swear okay. I thought I heard him say he wasn't gonna go, and then the next day he gets arrested. Maybe he should have said he's going to go. I don't know that law enforcement coordinates with Congress that way. If Congress is sure. trying to debrief him, I don't yeah. know. Let's hear from Joe. So, okay, wait, Terrence. Wait, Actually, Terrence is a good voice to do hear. it remote, right? He's going to testify remote. Joe, jump in here. Good morning. The government could have saved a lot of money had he come in in person and they could have arrested him there. Like the arrest was coming. The question is, on what day? So he's like, oh, he's not coming to the U.S. Might as well arrest him today instead of in two days when he's, you know, save us money on the flight. Yeah, I, I think it's important to emphasize the record breakneck speed that they moved on this. Um, you know, the, if you deal at all with, if you're close to white-collar crime, investigations go on for years. I mean, it looks, looks to me like they moved extremely quickly given the knowledge they had. Now, should... Should they have known much earlier? That's a fair point, but 
when this all blew up, the fact that they were able to impanel a grand jury, present the evidence, get the records. I mean, by all accounts, the internal records at FTX were a total mess. Um, even in the first day report in the bankruptcy filing, uh, there was it's sparse, if anything, in terms of the filing of where the actual money was at. So, you know, obviously we, we got the news and everybody is quick to conclude, you know, this is obvious fraud. And, but, but that's not how the legal system works. The legal system doesn't just go off half cocked. You have to have the facts. You have to have the records. You have to present it to the grand jury. Um, and you're, there are there's downsides. There's pitfalls if you rush forward with uh, you know with haste and don't have all your ducks in a row. Generally, when they're bringing the indictment, their investigation is concluded. So what you should conclude from that is that they moved at breakneck speed after this all blew up. Uh, to respond and get him indicted. Now, they move so quickly, and this is sort of atypical from the filing, um, that the, the, the indictment references others that were aware and knew. They didn't include them in the, in, in the actual indictment, in the true bill. So that's not typical. Normally, the government doesn't like to do things on a piecemeal basis. They'll bring all the conspira conspirators, co-conspirators together in one um, indictment so they don't have to go back to the well. But I think the public outcry and political pressure and all the politicians that were made to look a fool that led them to just move forward very quickly and expeditiously. So obviously it's very positive. I think the big surprise um, that I did not expect that they would move forward on with this is the, the campaign finance charge. Um, that's great, right? Because that's going to expose a lot of politicians and people that uh, were profiting from, um, you know, Bankman Freed and, and were going to his bat and there are going to be names that come out from that in the, in, the process that are going to expose, you know, who is on the take from uh, FTX. So that's a very positive development in my mind. Hey, yeah, Joe, quick question. Totally agree. Uh, totally agree with that. Not only that, but um, I'm super curious where all the, you know, not just where the money was going, but in particular to which politicians was the money going. Yeah, Joe, Joe I, I, I got a question as well. Is it safe to assume Caroline completely flipped on uh, Sam? Um, I don't think we can totally assume that. There's some anecdotal evidence that suggests it. Um, we'll see because the, 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 the indictment does reference others like that were co-conspirators. It says multiple times throughout that there were others that were aware and helped him conspire to bring this. And one of the key elements of a conspiracy is the existence of an agreement by and between the co-conspirators, right? So there, if you're going to prove a conspiracy, you have to name either the indicted or the unindicted co-conspirators. So it's got to be somebody there. Maybe Caroline's, you know, one of the unindicted co-conspirators who's a cooperating witness. Um, I think that's probably the most likely thing. But, you know, in my world, I don't, I don't assume things like that. I just kind of, I think it's probably, I would say it's highly plausible. And this is a criminal indictment, right? This is not civil. Well, there's, two. there's two. Yeah, the SEC is doing civil charges on securities violations, but the the I guess the U.S. Attorney for Southern District of New York is saying that there's a criminal indictment. Yeah, it just got unsealed. I can I can pin it the the link if you want to read it. Um, it just a couple things that that are interesting about that is that this is clearly ongoing for a while, right? This was weeks. They didn't just throw this together last night. You had to impanel a grand jury and present evidence, and that's an ex parte proceeding, meaning the defendant doesn't appear, the defendant's lawyers aren't there, they just present evidence, and the old adage is that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich because it's just, you know, it's a sort of a rigged process in favor of, um, of the government. But uh, 
uh, perhaps rig is too strong, but it's a favorable process to the, in, in, for the government. But the key thing is this. Um, once the DOJ tweeted out, the Southern District of New York um, tweeted out that they were going to move to unseal this indictment, within hours last night, the SEC came out and said, yeah, we're going to come along too, and we're going to file a civil complaint. Well, I guarantee you there was no lawyer at the SEC that was you know, furiously drafting up a complaint last night. They had this ready to go. They didn't want to step on the DOJ's toes. They knew this was coming, and they wanted to make sure the time was right from them. And then, boom, as soon as it hits the, the press, they come out with their own you know, braggadocious tweet about how they're going to uh, bring this complaint. Um, it was likely that was drafted some time ago. The SEC could have drafted that weeks ago and just been waiting for the DOJ um, to finish their process, which is more cumbersome than a civil suit filed by the SEC. Yeah, and, and is, Joe, is it also uh, possible? Sorry, Joe. Is it also possible the SEC kind of sped up? They had something that was pretty much ready to go, and they're like, "Oh shit, we need to look like we're doing something too. We don't want to be look like we're late." Or you think they were talking? No, they were clearly coordinating. They often coordinate. And and okay, by the okay. way, this is. This so, is so not, by that same token, this ahead. is the similar. Just Clarence, just so you know, the, the, the almost the exact same sequence happened with the the Coinbase quote unquote insider trading case uh, months back, uh, earlier in the year, where the DOJ brought their yeah. wire charge charges, and then within hours you had the SEC complaint on file. So there is sort of a parallel okay. between the organizations okay. where they coordinate. Uh, question on the grand jury. Now, that grand jury that they would have put together, I'm sure uh, the prosecutors would have subpoenaed a bunch of witnesses, but that witness list is never made public at any point, even in the future, right? Like, we will never know which people they subpoenaed to get uh, in front of the grand jury. Generally, that's correct. Although a criminal defendant in... Um in a trial, right, has a right to know the evidence and the accusers against them. You have the Sixth Amendment rights. You have the right to confront your accusers. So, you know, to the, I, Tony, I think to answer your question, a lot of the evidence is going to overlap. It's not like they're not going to use evidence from the grand jury because they needed it from the indictment. And it's not going to happen at trial. I mean, they're going to tell you uh, in terms of negotiating plea deal, which this will end in a plea. This is not going to trial. Just don't don't think there's going to be a trial about all this. Um, they're going to tell you, here's what we got. We've got this information on you. You can either accept it, plead out, so we don't have to waste our time trying the case, and then we'll consider that in your sentencing. Um, but, you know, th it's not like they're not going to know that they've got him dead to rights. And I would bet heavily that they have him dead to rights. There's really no argument, at least on uh, the vast majority of the charges. Do you think that him going around doing all these interviews, saying things made it worse? Do you think he implicated himself in those? Hundred percent. I'm asking Joe. Not yeah. Tom. No, well, it, it's not good, right? You would never counsel a client to do that. It's sort of amateur hour. But I think it was inevitable. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion. And I will say, all the folks out there that were spinning this nonsense about like, oh, they're never going to charge him. It's a conspiracy. They were trying to paint him favorably. It, no, it's just a process, guys. It takes time. And he was uh, without good counsel. Number one, he had nobody that was coming to his aid to tell him shut the hell up. You're only going to make matters worse. But number two, I think he felt desperate, right? Think about that. You're like a cornered rat at that point. It's obvious that they've got you, and it's only a matter of time. So what are you going to do? You're going to barricade yourself in a, in a hotel room? No, you're going to go out there and try to tell your story, and I think that's what he thought. Is it smart? Absolutely not. I would never counsel a client to do that. 
but I can understand a person as irrational and egotistical as him wanting to go out there and talk to Andrew Ross Sorkin and everybody else. But anyway, so you, gotta, you don't, you don't I, feel like Sorkin was trying to give this guy a pass and paint no. him in somewhat of a good light. No, Sorkin wanted to make a, he wanted to make it, you know, journalists want to make news. Anyway, I got to get on a call client. Uh, I'll be back. Good luck to everybody. Take care. See you, Joe. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, like, think about it in that light, right? Journalists are all about clicks. So, like, if you've got a big story and uh, you know it's going to get a lot of clicks because, you know, people are already seeing him as this fucking hero. So you're going to paint that picture just to get the get the views, right? Uh, yeah, I think Sorkin we'll, we'll see it. We'll tried see to if they ask, ask some tough questions, just didn't have the capacity flip. They don't to flip. do the follow-up and really nail him. Maybe he wasn't looking to nail him. Maybe he felt like the guy was nailed. He had some tough questions. I don't know. I mean, okay, so nail him might be the wrong word, but he was looking to do a rigorous interview, not some softball thing, because he could have asked only softball questions. He could have, but I think Wicked's got a point, too. Like, if you're mainstream media and your, your format is literally dying, right? You've got everything, everything out there from but, Twitter Spaces yeah. to podcasts to whatever eating your lunch. Mm-hmm. Your your views are down. You know all that kind of stuff. Just having it at all is probably a good thing for them. No, sure. I'm just saying that by the time by the time Sorkin was interviewing SBF, there was no way to paint him as a hero, even if his liberal bias was to do that. His mainstream elite bias whatever conspiracy theory you guys have there was just no way right he was being pummeled on twitter to ask tough questions he asked some tough questions he did some follow-up it wasn't very good stephanopoulos did a better job than coffeezilla did a much better job coffeezilla actually has i don't know who the fuck he is but he has some influence uh, as a youtuber and journalist who allegedly um got SBF to finally, after like four times on stage on Twitter Spaces, got SBF to finally admit to some fraud or something. But um, CoffeeZilla has a YouTube video, which I usually recommend against you guys watching because you guys are conspiracy-minded enough. Just kidding. Um, but um, he, <laughs> broke down, he broke down. He broke down how Sorkin fucked up, like how Stephanopoulos did a better job but still fucked up and how kind of SBF kept evading, right? Because it's very frustrating to a lot of us to watch uh, SBF wiggle out of um, tough questions, change the subject, use different excuses, like detract, deflect, all the crap he was doing. Okay, so <clears throat> something else that that's interesting, and this is coming from <laughs> the block, by the way, the block's got its own issues in this bear market, apparently. But um, so there's an article talking about there's an implication that Bahamian ath- officials and attorneys for Sam Bankman Freed may be breaking U.S. law by keeping large quantities of assets outside of chapter, chapter 11. They did, somebody, you know, I, I seem to recall that a huge amount of U.S. dollar value of crypto tokens, whatever the hell they, they are, I, I don't know, but like $400 million worth was transferred to the Bahamian government some weeks ago. Does anybody know anything about this? We know it wasn't Bitcoin. I mean, that's a 
that's a good point in itself. For people who are confused about all this, like, you know, there's still this nonsense uh, where a lot of people think that this is all about Bitcoin. It's not. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Nothing to do with Bitcoin. It has everything to do with shitcoins. With people literally making stuff up uh, and using that as leverage to make other stuff up. It's completely fake money that they're using to fake people out and then take their real money and gamble with their real money and then lose it all. That's what happened here. Yeah, I mean, the only tie to Bitcoin is the fact that, you know, he told customers who thought they were buying Bitcoin that he was buying Bitcoin on their behalf, but he never did. So, I mean, that's the only thing that kind of has to do with Bitcoin. Everything else is just crypto fiat bullshit. Got a, got a DM suggestion, Jacob, to get in contact with CoffeeZilla to get him on our show. Brian, good morning. What do you got? No, man. I'm just, I'm happy I'm being proven wrong. I was one of the skeptics. I was saying he wasn't going to get arrested. So I'm happy I'm being proven wrong in real time. Hopefully we actually get some justice out of this shit and they um, they reveal all the fraud he's he's committed. Yeah, I never, I never said that he wasn't going to get arrested. I was just like, well, we'll see. If he doesn't get arrested, that says something in itself, right? But I mean, it's, it's like Joe was saying. I guess these things do take a long time. I mean, not that this took a long time. Apparently, this was really fast. Lawyers are used to charging by the hour. These are government employees. They, prosecutors have in the U.S. Federal prosecutors have a very high conviction rate. If, if and when they kind of go to trial they tend to win so they are very very careful to not lose because they're kind of i don't i don't want to say scared but they kind of just don't do stuff federal prosecutors unless they have a lot of evidence that they can win in court that's just the custom it's not good because they should be charging people with more crimes and willing to take a lower hit rate but that, that's just not the culture unfortunately meaning a lot of people get away with crimes because there's just not enough evidence. Remember, it's what you can prove. It's not what you think or what you assume based on first principles, blah, blah, blah. You still have to come up with evidence usually. I mean, to be fair, I don't think they had much of a hard time getting dirt on this guy. Just like the yeah. vibe that I get from him is that this guy was sloppy. I don't think he was like some Bernie Madoff mastermind. He obviously engaged in fraud, but I think it was more along the lines of like, he became so successful so quickly that he the power just got to his head. He's like, oh, man, I got these accounts with billions of dollars. I could just move them around, and I can just go and buy bohemian houses and, you know, give some money to my parents, and nobody's going to care. So I don't think they had yeah, much of a hard time so, getting shit on him. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started out, right? MIT kid, physics major, whatever he was, goes to Jane Street, Quant you know, did well. And then, you know, initially he started off honest, but because of lack of controls and central points of failure and incentives, and maybe he had a point where he had a liquidity issue. So he's just like, oh shit, how do we fix this? Right. Cause so he was co-mingling all over the place, which is really bad and illegal. But at some point I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started off. Okay. And then went off the rails fairly quickly, fairly, fairly early in his, um, in his uh, FTX or crypto crypto life. 
Yeah, and there's evidence to suggest that because back when the Ponzi of UST Luna collapsed back in May, we started seeing a lot of uh, on-chain transactions on Ethereum between Alameda and FTX in around four to five billion dollars, suggesting that that is the point in time when Alameda functionally went bankrupt. But to your point, Terrence, Sam probably saw he had these customer accounts with like a couple billions of dollars. He's like. I'm just going to move them to Alameda, plug this hole up. You guys can just trade it all back and we can put the money back and get away with this like nothing ever happened. But clearly, you didn't get away with it. We just got a copy of the actual indictment. It's posted in the nest. Also, I'm hearing from a, a friend and reliable source that the hearing's happening now. I don't know if anyone has the... Oh. Yeah, someone just posted it in your comment section. I'll post it in the nest. Yeah, didn't they allegedly have a signal group called wire fraud? I mean, talk about sloppy. I mean, Brian was talking about the sloppiness of this thing. I mean, if that's true, I mean, I get playing around and having fun and games, but I mean, if that, yeah. I mean, come on, so guys. If <laughs> It's possible, yeah, I, I need to know what the messages were in there, but it's possible that group was actually meant to catch wire fraud, um, except for the ones they were doing themselves. <laughs> yeah, like That's organizations funny. will have a risk team and a fraud team or whatever, so bingo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's hope that's all it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that there's like a complex, you know, uh, like series of of timelines and bureaucracy and red tape across multiple departments and all kinds of stuff that you know has to play out. But from just like the casual observer of this whole thing, what it looks like happened is like you know there's no activity, guys just hanging out in Bahamas. You know there's like this uh, request that he's going to go speak in front of the Senate and whatever, and then. You know, he puts out that tweet or there was like that tweet that I saw yesterday where it was like, can't come, you know, so busy. And then all of a sudden he's arrested. So it looks like, I mean, to the casual observer, again, it just looks like the timing is so suspect. Like, you know, I got to this place earlier today and already the guy was telling me like, well, it's so suspect like this, you know, uh, that obviously somebody didn't want him to testify. Obviously somebody didn't want, and I'm just like, I don't really know how all that machine works, but the timing is funny, you know, you go out, you challenge Maxine Waters, and you're just kind of joking, like with this, like real jokey, like I'm not coming, I'm overbooked <laughs> to the Senate hearing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're arrested like that night. <laughs> yeah, but Maxine put out a letter, like a couple of hours ago, saying that she's disappointed or whatever, that Sam Bankman Freed was arrested because he was going to testify under Congress. I'm just saying, like, she publicly, go look at her Twitter, she publicly posted it. So this yeah, guy so this morning, again, I, I don't know, correct me, but this guy this morning that I was talking to, he threw it out there that if you're arrested, like, you can't, there's some kind of thing, like, you can't testify to the Senate. Is that true? Like, you, like him being arrested precludes him from, from going and doing this other thing? Is that right? I've never heard that, but I expect he'll just plead the fifth at this point. Well, yeah. Yeah. Probably right because so, like the timing is interesting. When you're when you're in front of Congress, right? Like you have to tell the truth, otherwise you're breaking the law. But if you're you, already you arrested, any, yeah, right? So anything you say can't be used against you. So it's so gotcha, it's kind of gotcha, like gotcha. The, so you you got this like <laughs> contradicting force to each other on telling the truth. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so is it possible? Like, why would the feds, right? Because they kind of knew about the hearing date and that he was going to testify remotely. Why would they potentially accelerate the timing? Did it affect the timing? Maybe they didn't care. It's like, fuck you, we're the feds, right? We don't really care. But maybe it's a power move. Maybe it's to get him to not talk under oath because they want bigger, see if he can flip bigger fish. Uh, another conspiracy theorist I like, I love you all, by the way, uh, Hoddle Magoo was talking about how SBF has the goods on Tether, allegedly, because he keeps bringing up this, does anybody know about this $35 billion or $54 billion, whatever ridiculous number that Hoddle Magoo and others were talking about that um, was- That's not even that much uh, money these days. Or Al- sorry, sorry, SBF or Alameda moved to Tether or bought in Tether or something. That's not that so, much money. So, yeah, Let's if, be honest. If you can take that, like, SBF can somehow take, turn informants, a state's witness, and take out either Tether or, and this is real conspiracy theory, so you guys should like me again, um, either a Tether or a DCG, Barry, or um, uh, Binance. That seems the least likely. I think he has less information on Binance. But, like, if I'm a prosecutor, I'm like, okay, let's let's do that. Just in case, maybe there's only 1% chance, but just in case, right, he has the goods on those. So I don't want him talking under oath because he could say anything. I want the goods on something even bigger. Maybe I want to take out the whole shitcoin casino because, you know, whatever, my, my daughter lost money, whatever it is, right? So who knows? Interesting. So two quick thoughts there. The first is that, a testimony b- before Congress is not a law enforcement proceeding. That has nothing to do with that. Correct. Like they they generally will subpoena people because they're they're trying to figure something out or learn about something, which may eventually lead to referral for law enforcement proceedings or ch- criminal charges or whatever. But they don't actually do that for the most part. So I could see how the, maybe, you know, if... I don't know. I, I don't necessarily talk it up to timing like a conspiracy I, yeah. thing at all. Uh, but what what the other thing that Terrence that you said that I think is super interesting is where does this lead? Like, does this lead to tether stuff? Does it lead to Binance stuff? Does it lead to whatever? I mean, this is just I don't know. The whole thing is super interesting to me because I've never seen this kind of thing before. And I'm in my first bear market in Bitcoin. Just watching this stuff blow up is just mind blowing. Yeah, Terrence, it's um, 36, just, quick 36 the, billion. Just to clean up the, 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 my comment on the testifying under oath, that's just, um, that, that can be used against him by whoever. So um, maybe they want to control the process a little more. They, they'll have him testify when they're good and ready and put him under oath in a criminal trial. They don't want to. So, so meaning like the stuff he says to Congress is a little more serious than what he says to George Stephanopoulos on Twitter spaces where he could be just like, oh, well, whatever. I was just talking out of my ass, blah, 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 instead of well, well, Congress I, I would be, I would be concerned that if I was the Justice Department, my biggest concern would be that let's assume Sam Bacon-Fried actually had a lawyer uh, that advised him. The, the lawyer should have gotten a signed document from Congress that anything he says under oath in Congress cannot be used against him criminally. Uh, I don't know if that's possible, but that's that what I would matter. have done. I, I, I'd say, you could I'd get say a, more if Sam yeah. says something. Sorry, I'm unclear. Okay, so let's say Sam, Sam says something about 
tether and then the tether folks are like oh fuck we got to get the fuck out of here like we're we're going to disappear we're going to go to russia party with our, uh snowden or whatever go to some non-extradition place right so you can maybe the feds are worried about that i don't know i'm just putting my conspiracy theory hat because you know we're in cafe bitcoin i'm just kidding yeah but terence i mean outside of the whole like uh paulo or whatever disappearing to russia like they're probably going to ask him questions regarding Tether because he had a $36 billion loan from Tether. So at the very least, they're going to ask, like, where did you get this money from? Like, what was the collateral behind it? So they're going to get involved with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just saying that the feds want to control that because they're not sure where it leads. Like, they're going to follow the evidence. If they can take out Barry or take out Paulo, take out Tether, they're going to do it, right, if they have the goods. Because this is a big case for them, they can become very famous, become mayor of New York City, become run for president, maybe become president. Right? This is huge. Right? This is what they want. This is what they live for. So, um, so I'm just saying that maybe they don't want the risk that he shoots his mouth. It's like enough. He's done enough self-incriminating on Twitter Spaces and all those interviews. We have enough. We don't need to wait anymore. And at this point, we want to ask him some questions and see what else we can get and we don't want him to tip off or start, you know, kind of leaking shit that might cause some of the other guilty parties to cover their tracks, delete shit better, disappear, whatever, lawyer up, right? Because you still have um, idiots like the, the other um, alleged criminals, whether it's Kyle Davis or Suzu or stable Quan, they're all like tweeting cz it's kind of insane to me barry silbert is the only one who seems to be listening to a good lawyer and shutting the fuck up like these people have can't shut the fuck up itis i read that somewhere i did not ego bro yeah they just keep tweeting and talking (laughs) it's ridiculous like i've never seen anything like it i love it right it's very entertaining but it's like, yeah, keep self-incriminate. Like, at some point, they're going to screw up and self-incriminate or, you know, leech, incriminate other people. They're, it's pretty comical. But, yeah, it goes to ego and just, like, lack of awareness. Bro, there, there's, like, an interview with Do Kwan where they ask him something along the lines of, like, were you aware that you were running a Ponzi scheme or something? And he literally just starts cracking up. Yeah, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. So a good prosecutor can use that to paint Do Kwan in a certain way before a jury and a judge, right? So it's all about, a lot of this is about narrative, which I think we can all relate to. So prosecutors are thinking in terms of, I, I'm not a former prosecutor. I did work in the LADA's office um, as an intern, but I know a lot of prosecutors and know enough lawyers, having been a lawyer uh, most of my life, that. Um, the way they think is in terms of like what's the story they can present and they're going to present different stories to the judge and see which one works right different charges in the alternative they sound contradictory they are contradictory but they don't give a fuck they're just going to throw the book at them where they have enough evidence right to say okay so one theory is do Kwan is evil genius and laughing right when he's asked about this another is he's whatever incompetent and you know just being told what to do by kyle davis who knows right so they they have a lot of narratives they're constructing to try to um hang uh paint use facts and circumstances to fit within the law to charge them 
Yeah, and uh, Terrence, also, isn't it like, like as they're charging people, right? And you have the people that they're charging, like all over social media, yapping, creating a, uh, you know, more of a media storm around the case. Uh, I would think the prosecutors are very pissed off at that. Like these people don't want to be in the public eye. And when the subjects of their investigations are in the public eye, that kind of makes their life, in a way, it makes their life easier because people are incriminating themselves. Yeah. But at the same time, it's making their personal life and social life a nightmare. So now they're even more pissed to put you away. Yeah. So, so what's, the, maybe, what's the maybe the junior ones, the the career staffers? I think the ones that are like okay. So to get to the top, whether you're Gary Gensler or the Manhattan um, assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District or whatever. These people are all political at some level because that's how you get to the top, right? It's a lot of, you know, complimenting other people, getting people to like you. I'm reading this book that Alex recommended and um, just, you know, how to win friends and influence people. So they're partly politicians and salespeople. So they want more power. They want to get promoted. So I think if I'm the head, of the Southern District of New York, um, all the assistant U.S. attorneys, I'm okay with them talking because I want to be famous. Maybe I want to, maybe now, you know, I didn't think I was going to run for president. Maybe I now run for president after I do my own Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani was a former prosecutor in the Southern District of New York, and he was liked by his employees when he led that group and took out a lot of mafia people in New York using the RICO statute, racketeering and influencing corrupt organizations or whatever it is to take out organized crime. And then he went after white collar crime and stuff like that. He became very popular, became mayor, ran for president. People forget this, um, but yeah. So the sky's the limit if you're in the right place, right time, right? And you know how to play your cards. So I'm not sure I-, I But, but those are exceptions. That's a, that's a very rare exception. People talking. Sorry, go ahead. I said that, that's just a that's a very rare exception, though. So what's your point? I mean, yeah, tone. Um, <laughs> what is your point? Like, I feel like sometimes you just need to challenge everybody on everything for whatever reason. I don't see well, how no, it actually no, no, no. adds just, to no. what we're doing here. No, it makes his life even worse. Like he's making it harder for himself. Not only is he probably incriminating himself, uh, he's also probably making them angrier to go after him more by doing what he's doing. Okay, oh. I can tell you that one thing is mm. realistically, I don't think these prosecutors and the people at Stanford Law and whatever, they're not used to people, Bitcoin maxis and others, but a lot of it is from us. So pat yourself on the back for tweeting at these people and complaining very publicly and vocally and in numbers. And we make sense that what the fuck are you guys doing? You're not doing a goddamn thing. And this guy's like clearly a criminal. There's fraud here, fraud there, sitting on your ass. So that may have accelerated things. I don't know, but like they're human too at some level, even though they are mostly shark and bottom fishing, bottom dwelling. Don't forget reptiles. Creatures. Yes. Those are people. Oh, yeah, I was waiting for that one. All right, so what's the moral of this story, guys? What What's the takeaway here? Don't steal people's money. Lizard people Don't rule the do earth. things that might make you end up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal or whatever uh, mainstream media publication uh, you like or don't like, Fox News, whatever. But God, I, I, I love the, the JP Morgan of crypto. 
Man, I lobbed it out there, just nice and soft, so you guys could smash it out of the fucking. Don't park. shit going. It's easy. Don't shit going. It's bad for you. Thank you. Good God. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I would get on the mission. I would say it's like I, I would say it's more like just a very very basic lesson from all this that I feel like humanity has been committing this error for a long time. Like, stop trusting other people with your money. Right. If 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 you if you get rid of that, like, you could be watching. You know the world around you collapse and you'll be good because your Bitcoin and self is in self custody. Also, you see he's arrested. I mean, we don't, and we'll see what comes of that, but we don't need this opportunity to create new regulations for, for this space and, and it's you know, how all this goes. Oh, I know, coming. I know they're going to try to do it. It's, but it's already I mean, happening, man. It's already, happening. you don't do it. You don't need it. It's already illegal to commit fraud. It's already Bro, illegal. They're, to commit they're, they're going to have to answer because the bottom line is the only reason F, uh, SPF was able to do the shit he was able to do was because he created a crypto token out of thin air, pumped it with VC money and then came into the open market and went and like pumped his balance sheet. He faked like money that wasn't actually there. So at some point, they're going to have to discuss, like, how did this guy manage to get these billions of dollars? They're going to look at what he did with the FTT shitcoin, and they're going to say, is this securities fraud? Or, like, what did he just do here? They're going to have to answer is the it? question. Is this it is. Securities 100% fraud? It is. I mean, it's pretty friggin' obvious. No? It is, but they don't want to answer it, and that's the problem. They don't want to answer the question. We know it's securities fraud, but they don't want to come out and just say it. Gonna get spicy. I'm looking forward to 2023, man. This is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is shaping up nicely. This get, getting ready for this fourth leg here. That's one of the charges on the indictment too: is uh, securities fraud and conspiracy to create to commit uh, securities fraud. Oh, damn! That's the criminal indictment. That's one of them. Yeah, there's uh, eight charges, I believe, and one of them is securities fraud, wire fraud, money laundering. Um, there's also the campaign one that Joe brought up, like uh, breaking the campaign funding laws. So it's going to be interesting. See, we don't need new regulations. Sounds like they've got it all buttoned up. Yeah, securities. The they're going to they're going to use this as an excuse to quote unquote do something and pass some bill. I predict. Or they'll try. Oh, for sure. The urgency, right? It's like the urgency. People are losing billions. And they, they, they need, they're not going to pass up this opportunity to try to ride in on a white horse with banners flying. Like, we're here to save you. <laughs> Give me a break. They're going to fucking do it. The government can't save you. You need to stop doing this, these shenanigans with your money. Stop putting it in these casinos. That's the only thing that'll stop it, is you protecting your own wealth and your own savings. The government can't save you with some law and a piece of paper. That's not going to work. People are still going to be stealing your money. If you're stupid enough to put it on these platforms and to let them have it, then so be it. But that's the problem, man, that when times are yeah. good, people are like, oh, the SEC is corrupt because they're putting all these laws in place. And so they have to wait for something like this to happen so they have favorable public opinion when they actually come down with the hammer. Like, this is the moment for them. The public is crying out that, oh, this guy committed fraud and all of these politicians are involved with him and he did all this stuff with shit coins. This is their avenue to come in and like do what they want to do without getting like so much public backlash of like, oh, Gary Gensler is in the pocket of the of the government and he's telling us all that we can't put do what we want to do with our money. People are actually gonna cheer this shit on once they say, like, okay, SPF stole people's money by creating FTT and I don't know, getting fucking tether loans with the FTT tokens and like that's fraud. So we have to stop that. Wild stuff. All right, let's hit announcements real quick. With it, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, and then we have Mr. Tomer Strelay, 
who has just joined us. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin. We do it every day on Twitter Spaces Live, the place. You okay? You trip over your keyboard? That was Brian. The place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show, Pacific Bitcoin was the best Bitcoin event of the year. Strictly my opinion. But a lot of other people are saying that too. You can go to next year's, uh, go to PacificBitcoin2023.com. Tickets are more than half sale, half off, excuse me. Um, fully refundable until July 1st. Also, I work with Swan. Swan does a lot of cool stuff. Check us out. Homer Strolight, good morning. How you doing? Hey, good morning. I, I hope you're all doing well. Um, a bit of a long thought I'm trying to untangle because there's so much going on. Uh, my expertise is not really dissecting securities fraud and, and scams. It's trying to, having tried to understand Bitcoin really well over a long time now, and and to put it in perspective of everything that's going on here. And some of the stuff that's been said, I haven't been here for the whole call, but some of the stuff that's been said is, just to put it in a slightly different light, it's like, for the first time ever, and very few people are aware of this, you don't have to put your trust in somebody else. You don't have to rely on law enforcement to identify after the fact that someone's committed fraud and then to try to punish them and hopefully get back some of what they've taken from you, even though it's mostly, it's gone by the time it's been discovered. And part of this, this is where the thought gets a little bit tangled. And so I'll try to keep it short. It's like so few people understand what this means, that you can actually take self-custody and be in a position of not trusting somebody else and still have access to your money in a liquid way to send it anywhere else in the world, that it's, of course, impossible for the market to fairly value what this invention is. And so, like, this is just what's been coming down on me lately. It's like all of these mistakes that even people who are investing in the crypto space, even in Bitcoin, but then you know, staking it or trying to earn yield on it. They all don't understand Bitcoin. They've all massively undervalued Bitcoin for that reason. And that to me is, is the thing I keep going away with is like, what's going on right now is, an, is a harsh lesson that's educating lots and lots and lots of people about what the true value of Bitcoin is, which is that it is something that you don't have to trust somebody else to do, that you can audit entirely for yourself and have complete confidence in its security. And so, you know, I, I, I don't like to comment on price, but I'm just saying in general, what this demonstrates to me is how vastly underpriced Bitcoin must be because of how vastly underrealized its core value proposition is, how vastly misunderstood or unknown its value proposition is to the vast majority of people who have money in the world. That's my thought. Man, I, 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 so it's, it's funny you say that, Tomer, because I, I, I said the same thing, right? It's, but just, and obviously not, you know, as well put as, as yourself, but basically, you don't have to trust anybody with your money anymore, right? And I think that is basically a, a good takeaway from what happened with FTX. But I mean, that story is really old. Right, whether it's the 1930s, the, the the bank runs, whether it's Lebanon, like they were just freezing people's accounts 
now that we have the technology that allows people to take, you know, self-custody of their wealth, maybe it is just an educational issue. Maybe it is just a matter of time before people wake up to that reality. But from also from my experience as well is that self-custody is a very radical idea to a lot of people, especially people that have spent a lot of time outsourcing the responsibility of the storage of their wealth to banks and institutions. And they lose that. It's like they always, they, they, it's like almost they become complacent, right? They're, they're like, okay, you know what? I don't have to worry about this stuff, but I don't think a lot of them realize until too little too late what they're really giving up by doing that in the first place. Yeah, I, I think part of what I'm getting at too, and this is, I, I agree with everything that you said, and I could go down one rabbit hole, but I'm I'm, I'm going to go down a different one, which is, which just the size of the blowups that are happening now, are a, a bigger lesson for more people than anything that we've witnessed before. Like this is how this is how crypto helps Bitcoin. This is all in the long run, right? It, people are attracted. People hear about Bitcoin, they get lured into some kind of scam that is different from what Bitcoin is. It, it promises something other than hold your coins and they'll go up in value and don't let somebody else hold them because they might steal them. They promise all the alternatives to it and lots of people are drawn to it. And, 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 and you end up with Super Bowl ads, you know, competing Super Bowl ads from different firms making these terrible promises and people get burned. And so I'll end and people who didn't get burned read about it in the news as well. And people who listen to shows like this learn about it, hopefully not getting burned, but, but seeing what happens elsewhere. And it leads to more and broader education of what's actually going on here and what's the unique brand new proposition that has just come into existence. So, th so it's, it's not that the story's just new or that it's been there before. It's like the story keeps getting bigger and bigger. And there's an irony in it that people only learn on mass through terrible things that happen, right? And this isn't just true about Bitcoin. All forms of security taking care of things happen because some terrible thing happened to somebody else that, that now nobody wants to see happen to themselves. So they take the precautions. Sometimes we do it with laws. Sometimes we do it like, sometimes we overreact in all sorts of situations. Like we put on security theater that doesn't actually provide security, but provides a sense of that we're doing something that's safety. Bitcoin is very minimalist. It does everything, everything that it does, it does for a good reason. There's no show or fanfare. They're not making you throw out bottles of water at the airport at, at Bitcoin. It's like, here's your keys. Here's how you generate them with entropy. So I, I think that's what's really important. I, but then I'll, I'll just take one second on your other rabbit hole, which is people need to step up to the responsibility of taking custody of themselves. It's, a, it's always very nice to have somebody do something for you in exchange for a little bit of money. That's what our whole economy is based off of. But there are some things you just cannot outsource. You cannot outsource your own critical thinking skills. You obviously can't have someone eat food for you. Uh, you, you, you can't have somebody experience life for you and you can't have somebody safely custody your coins, for, your money for you. Like as soon as somebody else is holding your money, you introduce a security risk. And there's, there are a lot of trustworthy people in this world and we have to introduce trust at various points, but to make it universal and so vulnerable and fragile as to there's some banker who controls all the money. And we hope that 
the threat of prosecution. Or worse, the government. Stealing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The or, or worse, yeah. CBDCs. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is the direction that, that it's going. Like, not only centralize all control of that kind of stuff, but centralize it under the authority of politicians. That, <laughs> I, don't, I, I reserve the use of the word terrifying. I don't like it usually when people use that word because I think it's overused. But the concept of CBDCs where they have complete and utter control over everything you do and can see everything you do, if that doesn't terrify you, I would suggest that you're not being conspiracy theory enough. So I'd like to, I'd like to add to what Nico was saying. Um, Nico, I am that, that person that you just did that analysis on. Uh, it was spot on, 100%. I'm 58 years old. I've been in the system my entire life doing exactly the things you're talking about. The one thing I'd like to add to that is that from not only is this an, is, is a it's really not a radical idea, it's actually really simple and that's what makes it so radical because you know, I'm so used to if it's I'm attracted to complexity. Well, this is a very, you know, finances are a very complex thing and to be able to make it ahead in 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 this world, you know, I have to have that that complex that 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 ability to um, do these complex kinds of machinations to, to be able to do that. And I have to rely on an expert to do that. And that's what I've been spoon fed. And so I, I you know, I, I got to the point where I believed that I was not smart enough to do my own, uh, my own finances. And this solution is so simple. Self custody is so simple that I think a lot of people just go, well, hold on. No, it can't be that simple. This is there's there's a trick. When people see something as simple as this, as secure as this, they just I think automatically assume that there is some trick. So that that was just the piece that I wanted to add to this. That because it's so simple, um, people will shy away from it. You know the the analogy that I always use right is there's a scene in the movie The Matrix where uh, obviously um, <laughs> cliche. Um, but yeah, there's this movie, there's a scene in the movie, the matrix where, um, basically Morpheus is telling Neo, you know, he's telling the truth, like we're in the matrix and then Neo's like, no, that's impossible. And he like kind of freaks out, you know, they, they pull him out of the, they pull him out of, of whatever. And then he like throws up on the floor, he passes out. And then the next scene is like really impactful because it's like, Neo's like waking up and Morpheus is like standing over his shoulder and Morpheus, like, he apologizes to Neo, and he says, like, Neo, I'm sorry. Like, after a certain age, you know, we don't wake people up because their ma their mind can't handle it. And then you kind of apply that to the fiat matrix, right, which is what we've all been accustomed to using. And think about if you've been using – if you've been in the fiat matrix for 50 years, and then all of a sudden you're introduced to this radical idea of – well, I mean, you know – to, to that individual, this radical idea of self-custody, it is a big obstacle for some people psychologically. Like, and this is what I've been experiencing teaching people. Like, like I, one of the things I have like a, a cabinet and it's just full of ledgers and treasures and cold cars. And I, I, I get into a habit where like, if I, if I really like somebody, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll give them a ledger. I'll give them a treasure and I'll walk them through the self-custody and the 12 words and all that, all that stuff. But it's a lot of handholding, you know, and then specifically for my mom, for for uh, for specific family members, 
I, I kind of have to play Uncle Jim, right? They, they, you know, they have the benefits of self custody, but, and you know, they're they're hardcore Bitcoiners and they see the price and you know, all that stuff and they believe all that stuff, but it like them themselves, it's still very difficult for them to, you know, to interact with their Bitcoin, and it's it's terrible because they're there signing checks you know, calling a 1-800 number, like asking why the bank froze their money. It's like all this stuff that's very complicated on the surface, but it's because they've been doing it for so long. But I do have hope. And the hope is, this is the last thing I'll say, the hope that I have is in developing countries, what's really interesting is people get the concept and they learn a lot quicker how to take self-custody and they take it a lot more seriously. And I believe it's because in the developed world, people see, unfortunately, they see, they see, they see Bitcoin as a speculative, like they, they're like, okay, this is speculation. You know, they, they know all the stuff, but they still see it. They still see it. A lot of people, they still see it as speculation where in developing countries, they see it more so out of necessity. Right. So in like, in the case of like Venezuela, a lot of people are, are learning there because they don't have another alternative. Like there, it's like, hey, how am I going to receive money from overseas? I got to learn how to interact with this thing, you know? So I don't think it's that people don't know how. I think that the incentive is not there for them to perhaps learn something that makes them feel uncomfortable. That was a great analogy. By the way, Peter, I want to say I'm very proud of you, man. I've watched this guy's growth. I was around when he kind of came into this space and like just watching how far he's come and how much he's learned since that. Pretty impressive. For a boomer. Go fuck For yourself. <laughs> yeah, he even picked up that Bitcoiner mentality, right? Yeah, you know the other thing is is that is that the the other the other thing that that was hard to 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 surmount for me was understanding, and this is once again this is kind of what Nico's talking about and Tomer for that matter, um, is the the level of security. I mean, the reason I put stuff in the bank was because I didn't want to put it under my mattress, right? I didn't want to bury it in the backyard. I don't want to have to deal with any of that, and it's really not terribly safe, anyways, right? So you know, the bank is the safe place and the, and the financial industry is the safe place. And it turns out that this, this solution, this, this Bitcoin solution, this self-custody solution is, is exponentially safer than anything I can do um, in the world today. It is probably the, and, and as people have said, it's the first time, I think uh, it was, I forget who it was, but it's the first time that I've, I think it was actually with you, Alex, it's the first time that I've actually owned something. I mean, I, I own it. No one can take it away from me. There's nothing else in my life besides my birthday that I own that nothing that, that nobody else can take away from me. And it's, it's really an amazing thing. And it's such a simple solution that it's hard to grasp in its simplicity. Well, the power of that, I think, is, is greatly underestimated. This is the first time the human race has ever seen anything like this. I think people underestimate how important that is. I think this is going to be like a level up of mankind. Like it's going to be an evolutionary step for the human species. Like, you know, I used to do the gold thing and 
I used to like greatly believe that gold was the path back to honest money. I really did. Cause I didn't know of a better alternative. I knew the money was screwed up. I knew it basically broke the way humanity interacts with each other. When you have unfair, dishonest money, it, it breaks a lot of things. And uh, Bitcoin is the first time we've ever seen like really ethically and morally correct and honest money. Even gold didn't do that. I, I think, you know, that, that's kind of the thing that that kind of breaks my heart a little bit about the gold bugs is that they got everything right. They just didn't get the tool right. They got the ideas right. They, they were spot on in the ideas, but it's just gold that limited them. So it was never going to happen with gold itself. So, and then the other component, what you were saying, Alex, is that, yeah, it, it is so radically powerful that I, I, I've joked about this all the time. And, you know, uh, you guys don't need to thank me, but uh, basically, you know, when I die, I'm going to take some of my Bitcoin with me. And, you know, that's going to make everyone else's Bitcoin worth a little bit more. But all joking aside, think about how powerful that is, right? You can actually, if you don't share With, those without keys, prejudice, Nico, without <laughs> prejudice, if you don't share those private keys, think about it for a second. You could literally die and you could take that. I mean, I don't know if you're going to take it with you, but no one else is going to get access to it. So and that's incredibly powerful. Think about think about anything else. Could you do the same with it? Like when the Egyptian pharaohs, they died and they they built those extravagant tombs unless it was hidden or something people uh, grave robbers broke in and they stole all the stuff right so it's like you can't do that with bitcoin though right like if you if you know if you die you don't share the private keys that's it for better or for worse and what's beautiful what's beautiful about that is that it makes everybody's else else's bitcoin worth just a little bit more and that's that's freaking amazing that's that's beautiful you know um so yeah it it, it it's the the ownership aspect of it is something so unique i can't really find something else to compare it to um because anything in the physical world could you know inevitably be it would be stolen it'd be captured over time it, i think it's just a matter of time you know like but bitcoin you know unless someone figures out how to break sha 256 but i mean that's a whole different conversation but yeah man it, it, it's crazy how much it empowers the individual and i think what tomer you tomer you're touching upon this earlier people haven't woken up to that fact yet they haven't woken up to the idea of of bitcoin and how much it empowers you they're still asleep and what happens when the majority of the world like 20 10 percent, 20 percent of the world wake up to that and they realize how much power they have in their hands compared to basically how the world's been run since since the beginning i guess i have a quick question i mean and it kind of just got sparked by what nico said and what we've been talking about in general with the importance of self-custody and you know the spreading of this message but in its current form right now um you know as as it is the protocol um what percentage of the world do we honestly think um can actually self-custody on the base layer like realistically do we know that number is it like one percent two percent 
I don't know. That, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, you could you could like surmise from the Glassnode data about the number of Bitcoin addresses with one Bitcoin or more. Um, I don't know what percentage because it, it, it that doesn't necessarily represent that one Bitcoin is for each individual, right? But I mean, you could surmise that a percentage of that is definitely individuals taking self custody. I think you could make a pretty pretty good bet that there's definitely a record amount of individuals taking Bitcoin into self custody. And and every time one of these blowups happen, which I believe is really the silver lining of the of this whole FTX disaster, is a lot of people burn burn their fingers on the stove and they realize, oh crap, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And it's interesting because it just came out that CZ, uh, sorry, that Binance is seeing record amount of outflows as well. Now, if you've been here for a while, this was before my time in Bitcoin. Um, Mount Gox blew up, and that was one of the only exchanges at that time. And I guess a lot of people learned their lesson. So what I'm trying to say is that every wave of these disasters, I think a small percentage of people realize not your keys, not your Bitcoin. It's just unfortunate that these things need to happen in order for individuals to learn those types of lessons. Because I know a lot of, like, there, there was this fund, it was like Travis Kling or something, the Kagi fund wrecked, like totally gone. He, he had most of the funds on FTX. And there's there's been horror stories that I've read of people's mothers, individuals, that just for some reason or the other, right, they left their wealth on FTX, you know, and it's unfortunate that that's the price that had to be paid for people to realize the truth. I also want to give a shout out to Corey because he did great work um, in and he got a ton of crap for it, for uh, basically beating the battle drum about Celsius, about FTX and getting individuals to take self-custody. It's just crazy how effective the shitcoiners are at just drowning out that. You know, it's like, oh, these Bitcoin maxis, they're radicals, they're crazy. You know, like they call you all these names, but it's really the bear market. It's kind of bittersweet. We we get vindicated, but at the same time, a lot of people lose their life savings, and I think that's that's really that's really tragic, man. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of where I was getting at is. Um, I mean, I, I personally believe self-custody is incredibly important and probably the one of the key, if not the most important feature of Bitcoin, you know, without enough users controlling their Bitcoin and having it in self-custody and, and using it, right, uh, um, kind of growing the network in terms of its peer-to-peer -peer connections. I mean, there's no Bitcoin fails, right? I mean, we need to have as many peer-to-peer -peer connections as possible, right? That's the whole fucking point of Bitcoin. But like, what I get, what I guess what I was getting at is like, I don't want to oversell the technology either though and make it seem like everyone can do this because that's just not true, at least in its current form. And maybe we'll make updates in the future that will make it that way, will make it possible for everyone to. But it's actually, very, I mean, it's, in my opinion, it's very likely that that we also may not, right? We may, we may, kind of choose to keep the base layer in a way where it's it's a settlement layer and the vast majority of people end up you know having their bitcoin on 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 layers on top um, and they don't necessarily have their own private keys or they have 
kind of these other ways of, of, of having, you know, custodial relationships like Fediments or, or custodial lightning wallets or things like this. So, you know, it's like, while I see the importance, at least, I mean, especially in this moment when we are so early and everyone can at this very moment who knows about Bitcoin and has Bitcoin, everyone who has it now, they, they really can take self-custody, right? It's a few pennies. I don't, say, I don't want to say everyone, but like, you know, a lot of people can take self-custody. It only costs a few pennies of on-chain fees and the block um, chain is, is, is not, you know, congested, right? The mempool's clearing regularly but at a certain point we do have to like realize that you know it becomes difficult to onboard everyone and so i don't want to oversell the technology when it's not really there yet and it may never be you see what i'm saying i think that's a dangerous thing too because then you have a bunch of people who are like well fuck you know like what am i going to do now right once we get to that point where it's like well sorry train's full I, I think I think you can hide a lot of the complexity of self custody behind a slick user interface and just kind of remove. That's that's not what I'm talking about, Nico. I'm talking about the literal limitations of the technology itself. There's there's only so much block space, and right now we don't have good enough ways to you know to batch transactions, which we might in the future, but but at least now we don't on main chain. So I don't, I mean, I don't even understand why this is an issue. Because you can't take self-custody without taking self-custody on the main chain. What are you talking about, man? Self-custody oh, is a main yeah. chain thing. No, that's, that. I, I guess that's a fair point. But it, I guess it that also makes the assumption that all of these transactions are trying to not happen on, on layers above. Like, I get the... I'm talking about what you're saying. storing their wealth in Bitcoin. And then us banging the table saying, it's not your Bitcoin unless you take self-custody. But then, you know, when the rest of the world wakes up, they realize that they're too late. And so well, what, what if, then? what if, what if, uh, I mean, do, do federations help with this at all? 100%. Let's say, that's what I'm saying is like, you know, I think that's why I'm saying it's kind of dangerous to, to, to be going down this narrative path of not your keys, not your coins. And that's the only option. But we're not there yet wicked so in the interim we're, we're not at the point where billions of people are trying to crowd into bitcoin and everybody's trying to take self-custody and it's the men yeah, pool's got three billion transactions recorded, though, and and influential and so you know i don't want people to come back and be like man those fucking you know early ass bitches like <laughs> just didn't you know weren't considering like the realistic situation here which is that the vast majority of people probably will never hold their own keys at least in our current technological stack of bitcoin things may change basically are you even updates. worried about that i feel like you're i feel like you're over worried about something like who cares we don't know I, what the, I, I care like look if I, you're, I, well, I care, okay I well calm down because about, about people being in control of their money that's the whole fucking point it's not that that's not what i'm saying you just said you just said you don't want people in the future to go back and listen to these and be like, hey, they said a bunch of stupid shit. It's like, look, nobody knows the future, man. Like, I don't have a crystal. Like, my membership uh, expired to the to the to the to the seance network. You know, I no longer have access to the ability to predict the future. So, like, just don't even worry about it. Like, we we go one step at a time here. Okay, but we're talking about a future where everyone uses Bitcoin. 
and we're saying that everyone needs to take self-custody, but those two ideas do not jive. That's all I'm saying. Wicked, wicked. Are you really worried that Kevin O'Leary, Peter Schiff, Charlie Munger are not going to be able to have self-custody? Those motherfuckers will, man. They're going to be on the base layer settlement, just like the rest of us because we're so early. You know, like it won't matter for us to pay, you know, the equivalent of 5,000 U.S. dollars to settle a transaction on chain when it's wicked expensive. But everyone else in the fucking world is going to have to use Fedimints and other custodial solutions to use Bitcoin. And I think it's Greatest important to be realistic about that. In, in human history, it's going to happen. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, but 80% of the people who are fucking poor and in developing nations who don't have the chance to get in on this you know, transfer of wealth or are doing it in a way where like they have a little bit of Bitcoin, but it's in a custodial lightning wallet. So maybe they get fucked along the way anyways. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, all I'm saying is we just have to be careful with how we word things and, and the expectations we set. I mean, I, 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 I would push back against that, man, a little bit. Um, look, at, at this moment in time, I think, you know, the more individuals taking self-custody of, of their Bitcoin, the better. And I think that, you know, perhaps in the future, those we agree on that, and circumstances will arise. Maybe I have no idea. But right now, that isn't the case. Right now, it's incredibly easy, incredibly cheap. I don't think it's very, I, uh, of course, I, of course, I don't think it's very difficult because I've been doing it for a while, but I, I, like the, the steps I don't think are very difficult. Like I, I don't think setting up a ledger or a treasure, you know, or a jade or a cold card, like, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's that hard, man. And I think that you can get a percentage of the population specifically, you know, the people that have spent less time in the fiat matrix, um, I think you can get them accustomed to it, man. That's what I do, bro. I, I literally have a cabinet full of hardware wallets, and I hand them out like candy bars. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm running a every single weekday morning. I mean, this is what I thank I'm, you for I'm doing that, by the way. Wicked. Planning on That's doing very cool. you know, for a very long time moving forward. I think it's really important to spread this message. I'm not saying don't Hugely take self custody. I'm just saying we're going to reach a saturation point at some point, and it might be the right, next Well, we're cycle. not there yet. It will, but it yet. might come deep up. Breath. It might sneak up on us. And so I can just Apple, be ready. I can just Angry see Apple, Nico take a deep breath. I can just see Nico at Halloween, and here's a treasure for you, and here's a ledger for you. <laughs> Dude, I literally subsidized it. Bro, so hold on. I have to tell you guys a story because it's a good story. Um, so before I dropped out of college, my last, my last uh, this was 2016, by the way. Um, my last class was public speaking and, um, I like, they're like, what are you going to do your presentation on? So I did my presentation, uh, on Bitcoin at the very end. Um, I said, guys, you know, if, if you download a Bitcoin wallet or some, something like that, I will literally give you $10 worth of Bitcoin. Mind you, this was 2016. There was a class of 29 people. Only three people took up that offer. <laughs> like, man, like, wow. It, yeah, dude. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting. But hey, NGU technology, NGU, I think fixes a lot of this. Tomer has had his hand up for a long time. Let's go with Tomer, and then I have a question for the panel. Okay. Um, I just also, uh, I have a point to make, but just to weigh in on this last conversation, I think by the time this becomes. Uh, what um, Wicked's concern comes up, there will be there will be good solutions for it. There'll, there'll be other things, but I don't want to really 
uh, belabor that point. I I shared another tweet that I made last night at the top of the nest, which I think for me at least is an attempt to condense a lot of this conversation, which is, I, I said, the most important feature of Bitcoin is auditability. It's not that, I'm just trying to make a case where it's not that there's 21 million coins or that even that with a finite number of coins, it's that you can actually see where every coin is, including most importantly, yours. And so you know that you've got what you've got. And and that certainty is is the invention that we've never seen before, right? That we've never had that ability for you to have way have knowingly what you have in a financial system, in a digital asset that that is invulnerable to uh, to attack. And so, yeah, I feel like I'm just kind of going over and over some of these things, but it's a different lens because everybody tends to focus at different times on different features of this thing. And now with all these custodial blowups that we've seen, and we remember why, not your keys, not your coins. And the, the reason your keys are so important is you can see what's on there and, and, and so can everyone else. And so all these games of, well, how many Bitcoin, like how many Bitcoins actually exist in the paper world? Nobody knows. How many exist on chain? Everybody knows. Which coins are yours in custody? Nobody knows. Which coins are yours in self-custody? You know, and everybody else knows. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's night and day difference. It's incredibly stark contrast to what existed before. Even with things like gold that you can take self-custody of, you don't know how much gold there is out there. You can't audit the global supply of gold. You can't actually verify for yourself that the thing that you hold in your hand that you think is gold is gold. But you can verify all of that uh, easily, trivially, inexpensively, instantly, continuously with Bitcoin. That's the That's a great point. Invention. Great point. How many diamonds are there out there? Does anybody know? Infinite. You can make diamonds out of any uh, out of carbon. Yeah. So, I take your pencil lead and and squeeze it really hard. You get a diamond. There's a lot off the coast of South Africa. That's for sure. Angry Apple makes his own diamonds. He just grabs the carbon and crushes it in his fist until it becomes a diamond. That's right. And and these man-made diamonds are better than you know those shitty ones you find in the Earth crust. Anyways, they're more perfect. Okay, here's my question. When does Ethereum blow up? I don't know, man, but that... Not soon enough. Dude. That That's one of the most difficult things for me to explain to... Um, oh, you know, you know, Alex, you know this, this individual that I'm talking about. Um, that is the mo one of the most difficult things, man, because it's like, hey, why shouldn't I invest in this? And then I give them... You know, it's like, look, it's centralized. You know, there's a central party controlling things with Prima and all of that stuff. But just like some people are just like, yeah, but, you know, it's a good investment. It's like as if they don't, you know, and, it, and again, from their perspective, they're looking at it from an investment perspective. They're not looking at it from yeah. the perspective that we're looking at it. So, yeah, I hope so. I hope very soon, bro. I hope very soon. Yeah, I mean, Ethereum's trying to. I mean, I, I don't know if they've given up on on trying to come up with these new narratives of use cases, but it seems like, at least more recently, they've pivoted to this idea that they're just going to be NGU tech, and even if it's centralized, as long as you know you stupid plebs keep DCAing into ETH, it will NGU to infinity, um, and so like I don't know, man, that can go on for a very long time. 
not to mention it's like what, what the last time I checked the 60 to 70 percent of the validators are active actively censoring for the OFAC yeah that doesn't matter for you know regular oh, pledge orders TCing and the ETH <laughs> they don't give a fuck How do you explain to Alex? I'm sure you've gotten this question before as well. Sorry, what? I'm sure you've gotten that question before. Like Which uh, question? Like if someone's asking about Bitcoin, it's like, "Hey, you know, why should I buy Bitcoin over ETH?" Like wh- how do you how do you, what what's your pitch to them? Well, I I it's that's it. That's the heart of it. It's like if somebody comes to me and they're like, "Well, because they're, you're thinking of it like an investor. I'll just tell them that flat out. I'll say, look, you're, you're thinking like an investor. And what that means is whether you realize it or not, you're privileging the United States dollar as the superior form of money. And at some point, you'll come to the conclusion that the U.S. dollar sucks, dude. And when you figure that part out, <laughs> that's when this will make a lot more sense. And I'm not mean about it. I'm just, just like, that's just the reality. So I, I've I've said that before, and then there's this one older gentleman, and he told me something that really resonated with me. He looked at me in the eye, and he's like, Nico, I get it, but you're talking about it from the revolutionary aspect, and I'm looking at it from an investment p- perspective. After every – what you just said, I've – dude, I've tried it a hundred ways, and – I know exactly who you're talking about, Nico. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Nico, Nico, until someone has a need or necessity for one or many of the properties of Bitcoin, they're just not going to have an interest. And a guy that is still looking at it as an investment does not have a need or necessity, or at least does not nah. have. You, it's you know, not you. You said it, Peter. <laughs> It's not the investment part. It's the need or necessity part. Like right. guys like this, I know exactly who Nico's talking about. I ran into a crap ton of these guys over the summer. And there's a lot of them who we're kind of in communication with that are looking at Bitcoin, but it isn't urgent for them because fiat works for them really well. They're doing really well in the fiat world. And because of that, they're like, meh, it's fine. <laughs> this is fine. I'm reading this book. I highly suggest it. I want everybody, if you have the time and if you're interested in doing this, go get Dying of Money by Jens O. Parson. Dying of Money. Lessons of the Great German and American Inflations. And I'm in this section talking about the Weimar hyperinflation. And you know what? It's so bizarre. All the things he's describing that was happening in Germany prior to the Weimar hyperinflation, like literally right before it hyperinflated. This was like a nine-year process. But the majority of the hyperinflation occurred in the last year. It like built up, built up, built up, built up, built up over eight years. And then in the, in the ninth year, waterfall effect. And the crazy thing is all these things that I'm reading about are happening in the United States of America right now. Even the part about the investment mentality, you know, because there, there are certain people in the, in the society that are doing really, really well. Fiat is treating them really, really well. They're doing great. And those people who did not figure it out until the end were wrecked. They lost everything. R.I.P. Charlie Munger. <laughs> 
No, but I know exactly. So, Alex, I've pulled up that chart before. It's it's the slow crawl is real, right? And then it, it what's crazy is that it's not even a slow crawl up to like hyperinflation rate with inflation rate. It 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 goes up and down. So like it will go up yeah. one month and it will come back down. You're like, oh, everything's back exactly, to normal. Exactly, exactly. In fact, the 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 year or two preceding, I think it was a year preceding the actual waterfall, inflation was flat. It went back to normal. And because it was back to normal, they were printing again. They were like, see, we're good to go. Let's print. And that's when the big thing kicked in. It was crazy. Like, and and here's the I'm just like my mind was I'm having like brain explosions all night last night when I'm reading this book. Like at one point, the mark, the Reichsmark, the, the money that hyperinflated was the most, it was the strongest currency in the world, just like the US dollar, just like the US dollar. All of the other currencies were losing value against it at one point. It was just mind blowing. It, and it's interesting too, because from my understanding, the hyperinflation was caused by this mass loss of confidence in the Deutschmark. It wasn't necessarily because they were printing. Like yeah, of course it was because it was printing, but it was, it was a psychological, kind of move in the populace, where like it was just like all at once you're like, no, this thing is worthless. This doesn't make sense yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that's how all of these things happen, though. All hyperinflations in history, it's a psychological event. It's not. A, it's not a number thing. Like the number thing is the precursor, right? The obviously the the the, the massive printing of the money is the precursor that leads up to it. But what triggers it eventually is that mass. We talk about this a lot in co in complexity theory and physics. It's a phase transition, and you have this comp massively complex system that that kind of signals to itself. Like every person in the complex system is a node in that in that complex system. And we're all signaling to each other, even subconsciously. It's it's the it's the way herds of animals move, flocks of birds, schools of fish. You see it all throughout nature. Yeah, and then to your guys' point, if, if anyone in here wants to see a beautiful pr presentation on this, Mike Maloney's Hidden Secrets of Money, I believe it's episode seven, goes through that exact scenario, what you guys are talking about, the, the Reichmark, everything, and, you know, a 30-minute or 20, 20, 25-minute, you know, cartoon, beautifully drawn out so that everyone can kind of live through what was actually happening in that, in that time period. So I suggest anyone to check that out. It's, it says exactly that. All right. Uh, what a cool conversation today. Let's open this up. We got about 10, 15-ish, whatever minutes left in the show. You guys want to open it up? Let some people ask some questions if they want to. As we wrap. If you're, if you're on the panel, you have a question, or you're in the audience, you have a question, or you want to ask a... If you're in the audience, you want to ask a question. Request to come up. We'll answer your question. We'll be kind, I promise. Uh, if you want to ask your question in text, you can do it in our Telegram group. Our show has a Telegram group. It's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. You're welcome to jump in there. All right, Seth, good morning. How hey, good doing? morning. Good morning. I'm good. Um, I just had a quick question. What was the book that you were just talking about uh, with the Weimar stuff that you were reading? 
I it's called uh, Dying of Money by Jens, Jens O. Parsons, J-E-N-S-P-A-R-S-S-O-N. Perfect. Thank you. I feel like we didn't talk enough about how uh, federal prosecutors have leaked to Reuters a couple that um, they think they're ready to indict. I, I know Reuters sucks, but they're ready to indict uh, CZ and others at Binance criminally. So the Department of Justice does have a civil division where they go after people for civil um, uh, violations, but the, this is the criminal uh, part and it's being held up. So the reason it got leaked, it seems to me, is because it got held up by um, like there's inter like multiple departments within the Department of Justice have to agree to file charges because it's kind of complicated. <clears throat> and there's one group in particular that is holding it up. They tend to be more conservative and slow moving. So I think some of the pros a couple of the prosecutors got frustrated and talked to Reuters. Um, trying to speed things up. So it's interesting because they, the, from my understanding, the charges come from lack of KYC and AML. Um, and they did the same thing to Arthur Hayes of BitMEX. So I, I really think that those controls are a very powerful tool for the U.S. government. I think they definitely want to keep them. Um, and I think that's really what this is about, right? It's about controlling the money flows and AML and KYC is, is an incredibly powerful, powerful tool. And also like you, you, you tie this in with the U S sanction policy, which I would make the case that that's what led to the sanctioning of, of tornado cash which is an open source software, which inevitably led to, you know, 60, 50 to 60% of the, of, of, of the shitcoin Ethereum validators, uh, uh, openly censoring for the U S government. So what I'm trying to say is like, if you all this tie, if you all tie this in together, right. You know, Arthur Hayes being arrested, CZ potentially being, you know, investigated and charged, right? Like this is really just about controlling the money flows. And if you control the money flows, you can control people. And I, I really think that this is about, but at the same time, it's really interesting because if you look at how SBF was, you know, his interactions with uh, with the U.S. government specifically about the OFAC, he said, yes, we should blacklist. Um, he was a big fan of, of more identification, more regulation. Obviously, we know now that he was using that as a regulatory moat, right? But it's really interesting because they left him alone when it came to that specific subject. And this is something that I tweeted a couple weeks ago. I was like, don't you guys find it fascinating that um, the open source developer is held in jail without bail in the Netherlands and it took this long for SBF to be arrested? And who's to, who's to say? Maybe they do give him bail, you know? So it's just funny how that works. Like, I, I, I think that that's really a priority you know, for, for people working in the, in the government is not to lose their control on money flows due to Bitcoin. Right. And I think that they're going to really, so, fight so I like that theory. I think, 
Um, <clears throat> overall, it's right. I think in this particular case, the federal prosecutors specifically talked about um, sanctions violations, meaning because Iran is sanctioned and they had um, Iranian money uh, washed through Binance, that that's a violation. Uh, let me just find it here. I'll post it in. So I posted the article from Reuters, and then I'm going to post the, I'm going to tweet out the the particular part where they list the charges. So it's not quite what you said, Nico, although I appreciate you. The charges under investigation are unlicensed money transmission, money laundering conspiracy, and criminal sanctions violations. It's not necessarily just KYC AML. But to your larger point, yeah, there are laws on the books. The U.S. wants to have control. and But I think in this particular case, the prosecutors are not thinking about that. They're just thinking about, like, can they get CZ on something? Do they have overwhelming enough evidence to indict and convict? Because they don't like to lose. Their success rate in convictions is like 99-plus percent or something. So they pretty much never lose and only bring charges when they have a, a lot of evidence. So they, they don't really take a lot of risks, and it's being held up by uh, another part of the Justice Department, which is um, known to be a little slow because there's multiple parties involved or multiple well, departments. I mean, I would say, but I mean, I, I would say, though, that that is about controlling the money flows, right? Because if it has to do with Iran, right? It's not KYC AML, right? So, yeah, yeah, but it's sanctions, uh, wire transmission, like wire transmission laws and money laundering. Overall, yeah, it's ultimately about control, but it just comes off a little conspiracy theorish for, for you to say that federal prosecutors are like all about control. They're just about, you know, the federal prosecutors I know, I don't know how many you talk to. I went to law school with a bunch of these people, okay? And they are, they just want to, they think they're good Americans. They just want to represent the United States and enforce the law. They're not really thinking about control or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They, you know where I think these, the I think, you know where I think some of these ideas come from is, is that a lot of these sort of investigations over the last maybe four years have been highly politicized and turned out to be witch hunts and wrong. And I think that's where yeah, kind of it's, it's shading the, the conversation a little bit okay, in, in and, people's and, views. And Terrence, how long does it take once they get into the system, once they're actually working for the state, they're out of college, you know, they're out of law school, how long do you think it takes when they get into the system for that for for that uh, that mindset to change? To change to what? To change from, from hey, I'm doing something good for the world. I'm upholding the law. To all right, I'm I am in control in this position. Oh, okay. So I would say the people that are very political and get. Um, get promoted, right? They're politicians at some level, salespeople. I said this earlier. Um, I've always thought that because they're they they just have social awareness and emotional intelligence and the ability to make friends and influence people who matter that others don't, like the careerists. So some of the careerists, like I know both types, but the careerists are just kind of continue to think the same thing, to be honest. I, I don't see them changing all that much. They'll criticize you know, Obama, even though they 
they technically worked for Obama ultimately because they're part of the executive branch when Obama took out a U.S. citizen, which is, you know, pretty bad, right? Seen as a terrorist, no due process has killed him, along with other terrorists, I guess, using drone strikes or whatever Obama did. So that's a pretty, pretty, pretty creepy precedent, too. Yeah, that was not good. That was not good. Um, uh, that that part was creepy or or just pretty bad. Um, and then there are others who are more political, and they'll say the right thing. But you can they're very likable, but you can tell when you're being played. So I'll just give an example. So I was doing a, um, I was like co-chair of my law school reunion, um, and then the other co-chair was like, oh, we should have. Um, blah, 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 you know, speak on, on this panel. And it was all Democrats. And he happened to be Republican. I was like, but we should have a Republican there to balance it out. I know, you know, my law school, Harvard, is extremely liberal, but, you know, we still do have some Republicans. And, you know, the alumni who show up at these reunions, they tend to be more conservative because it's A, expensive, and B, you know, just going to reunion, that's kind of a conservative, not super liberal thing to do necessarily so it's going to be more mixed and anyway so um and then he's like oh well maybe you should be on the panel it's like no i don't want to be like moderating the panel what the fuck like just get a put a republican on there i don't this is about me but like he because he came from dc and he was like a um appointee by presidents like you know appointed like lawyer or whatever in the white house council not not the White House Council, but one of them. So he was thinking in terms of like kissing ass and how to get stuff done in DC and nothing gets done unless you kiss ass. So he's trying to do it to me. It's like, no, oh, what the fuck? Like just have a panel <laughs> make us look ridiculous. I'm immune. And of course, as usual, I was right, right? Here's my ego bragging. Because you know there was a New York Times reporter who was married to a law school classmate who's like, Oh, it's good you had some Republicans on the panel. And I turned to my co-chair and said see i told you <laughs> all right let's keep but moving anyway, terrence yeah, terrence i want you to know that that types. we we love you even though you went to Harvard. uh <laughs> chef yeah, for brains is asking in text to cloud chase and because of all the crimes that are being committed but and finally coming to justice so i can get on shitcoin panels and tell got them uh, what's up yeah let's go you gotta i mean sometimes you gotta like you know fly under the radar it works uh, okay. Peaked in law school, so. Chef, <laughs> no, you didn't. Chef for brains is asking in DMs, what's the safest place to buy Bitcoin? Well, Swan, obviously. Go to SwanBitcoin.com. That's a no-brainer. Everybody knows that. Anywhere that allows you to self-custody it right away. Especially self-custody and, bit, and Bitcoin only. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, you know, even some of the people on the panel. I know, you know, Alex, you guys have some solutions. You're working on a Swan, but uh, since everyone's talking about self custody for a while, just you know, what is what are people using? And just kind of putting that out there. Like, I have a Blockstream Jade that I use, and Trezor, and see what everyone else uses. Help some people down below. Okay. Good morning, Bitcoin Carney. How you doing? Hey guys, I just had a comment on what Nico was saying a while ago. Um, I was in Turkey and Poland and Mexico all earlier this year. And when I go in an Uber, talk to a, a guy at a restaurant, I always ask, you know, have you heard of Bitcoin? 
And in all three places, they go, yeah, yeah, of course. And then it goes straight to shitcoin rabbit hole. And I think it's like a very similar story to most of us. And just because they're in the third world, it's, we assume like, oh, they need this freedom money that's decentralized and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, they're looking for gains. Like if they can figure out how to get Bitcoin, they figure out how to get their shit coin of choice or their stable coin. And it was really kind of like disheartening to hear because then it ends the same way it always ends. They lost all their money in Cardano and now they'll just they'll just get a stable coin. And it's like, shit, man, I, I don't know. It was kind of disappointing. I just wanted to see if anyone had a comment. Clapping Mount Stupid. It's part of the process. Everybody does it. Go wicked. We're gonna let's wrap this up. So we got Ryan up here as well. So let's hear from Ryan. Let's let's speed around this. Yeah, I mean, I just think that these, you know, basically the 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 rate at which people are learning about the difference between Bitcoin and crypto is accelerating. I think that the message is getting out there. So I'm hopeful that, you know, that message will continue to spread and strengthen over time and hopefully still be fucking clear when everyone gets caught up in this next upcoming cycle. I mean, it's going to be really important for us to be screaming this fucking message super loud during the next cycle. Cause it's going to get very noisy oh, yeah. again. I, I agree with that. And that's one of the things, man, let's get on the mission. Every single one of you matters. Everyone in the, in the, who can hear my voice, you all matter. Get on the damn mission. Like take this seriously. If you don't know what that means, you're still trying to fig figure Bitcoin out. You get a pass. You're excused, but everybody else, you have no excuse. You know what this is. Do the thing. Ryan, good morning. Morning, guys. Thanks for bringing me up. Uh, just a quick question regarding, um, I was following Dylan Sinclair's post regarding uh, SI Bank. So um, any thoughts on that as far as the on and off ramps and the ramifications of if whether this is them just trying to purposely uh, – entangle some banks so that way it gives room for the big guys or you see this is just them trying to turn on and off the off ramps just some thoughts on that can you elaborate i'm not sure i understand what you're asking here uh dylan had showed the the risk of the bank being you know there's really only two there's really only two on and off ramps for crypto and one of them is already um at risk from kind of what i took his uh, post about and so with that, I was curious of if they really do succeed in some of these two banks going down, where's the on and off ramps for Bitcoin? And with that, what would be some thoughts on, is this just making room for the bigger players to come in, uh, whether it be some of the bigger banks or you think this is just them trying to do a like a gold kind of make it illegal, but not necessarily making Bitcoin illegal, but the on and off ramps illegal and really making it difficult for U.S. citizens? Yeah, I mean, they'll definitely, they'll definitely make it harder in my perspective um, to take self custody. I think that's definitely, you know, in Europe you're hearing terms like hosted wallet, unhosted wallet. They're already making it so that if you're transacting an amount over a thousand euros, you know, you have to report the name, the address, and you can make the case that it's a prelude to. Um, to a talking, you know, quote, the on and off ramps. However, however, big however, um, there are more than two on and off ramps for for Bitcoin. Um, and then... He's talking about crypto. 
Oh, yeah, Bitcoin. I, I don't know anything. I, well, I, well I'm, I'm, I'm referring to I'm, I don't see crypto. I'd like I'm only talking specifically about Bitcoin, but um, more under the aspect of Bitcoin. But yeah, I, OK, go well, ahead. there's way more than two on and off ramps for Bitcoin. I don't yeah. know where you got that info from. Yeah. And, and then and then one last thing, Karen, just, is... just a quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you mind sharing the, the more than two as far as how people would access that? I know you could you know buy direct. You can go peer to peer. You can do those things. But what what other means through if you have funds in in the typical banks what other route then would you go other than using the two existing banks uh, so from my understanding there's a lot more than two banks um also you know it, it's it's interesting because in in the developed world we have developed financial rails where you know a, 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 an exchange can exist right but in developing worlds you don't see that. The majority of their people buy their Bitcoin in Telegram groups and WhatsApp groups, and they actually buy it peer to peer, right? And you could always fall back, fall back down to that, you know, if worse comes to shove. But I, I don't think that is going to happen specifically in the United States. I think there are two main attacks right now: the social attack on mining and on its energy use, and I believe the next one is going to be the 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 right to self custody but i would make the argument that if we win you know and shout out to Corey wrote a great paper on this if we win the adoption race which i believe we can i think bitcoin's incentives are awesome um i think we could potentially avoid you know uh, a a big showdown so to speak but you know to answer your original question there's a lot more than two banks man there's a lot more than two banks Okay, well, that, well, thanks for clarifying that. That just obviously comes, you know. Going to just. Okay, you're cutting out a little bit, Ryan. We're going to move on. Thanks for coming up, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, Paul, Paul Tarantino. Good morning. How you doing? And let's doing, let's move to rep. Doing great. Thanks, guys. Um, I just wanted this. I'm just thinking back in terms of like historically, all altcoins were the original rug, right? Then we had the ICO rug. Now, now we've got these uh, the security token token issuing uh, stable coin slash fraudulent exchange rugs, and with the SEC enforcement coming in, I really see it as they're interested in clearing the way for Wall Street to get in this business and to take all that production, take all those sales, take all that business. And I mean, you got to re- we got to think that, you know, the SEC essentially is a revolving door with Wall Street. So to me, this is really setting the stage for the next big rug, which is going to be security tokens on Wall Street and CBDCs. That rug, once people uh, that go all in and, and follow the fiat right into CBDCs, once they get rugged, that's going to be the final straw that makes everybody realize that the only solution is Bitcoin. And I think that's when we get mass adoption. So mm. uh, that's just sort of a, a theory that's rolling around in my head for what this is all being set up to do. Interesting. Uh, the final rug. <laughs> all right. Does anybody have, have any closing thoughts you want to wrap with? And then we're going to close up here. That was pretty awesome. The final rug. All right, we'll wrap then. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin.
We do it every day, Monday through Friday. Start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. If you can't catch the live show on Twitter, you can catch the podcast if you want. It's on Fountain, Spotify, Apple, everywhere that you get your pods. Throw me or Swan a follow. Be notified when those drop. Um, thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. Also, my crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, producer Jake. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me I'm happy to help you. Thanks to all the speakers who are up here now and who always come on here. All of you guys really admire you uh, for what you do, which is these guys take all their own personal, I mean, they take their personal time when they come on this show to teach people about this bright orange future. Why? Why are, why are Bitcoiners so passionate about this? Because this is the peaceful path forward, guys. you got two options, in my opinion. You've got Panopticon, Surveillance State. They know everything you do. They tell you what you can and you can't do. If they don't like the way you think or the things you say, they shut you down. Screw that, man. Get on the mission. Let's go. You guys know what that means. If you don't know what it means, hang on. Go figure it out. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day. Today.